Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land of the decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We pray that you would use these words from Malachi to change us, transform us into the likeness of Christ. That we might seek to obey him and live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close out the book of Malachi this morning, we've seen six practical disputes that call God's people out of this spiritual apathy, that, that, that are indictments of their apathetic state, in order to renew covenant loyalty to God. This book closes with a fitting conclusion, not only to this post-exile community, but also as a close to the Old Testament, as God's people are called to remember God's word and to wait for God's promises. The final appeal to, to moving away from spiritual apathy, indifference, disinterest in God, going through the motions of the, of the Christian life, is to commit to knowing and remembering God's word and then to wait for and long for the, the promises of God. We, we observe this quite often. Recalling the past and looking to the future is intended to shape the present. Right? Recalling the past and looking to the future is intended to actually shape God's people in the present. And that's what we see again in our text. So two points this morning. And then a final question, right? We've seen questions throughout this, this book. A final question and a focus on the implications. Okay, so first, you can see this in your outline. God's people are called to remember God's word. So look with me again at, at verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. As Malachi concludes, he draws attention to the law of Moses. Israel was under the old covenant at the time, and of which Moses was their mediator, and the covenant was given to them on, at Horeb on Mount Sinai. The people of Israel from generation after generation had, had broken the covenant. And in the days of Malachi, they had violated the covenant in specific ways, and we saw this throughout our series in Malachi. It was with the sacrifices that they were offering, with the priests and their leadership, unfaithfulness in marriage, and neglecting the tithe. It was as though they continued in this ongoing cycle of sin from the previous generations. The disobedience that led Israel into exile was now being played out again and occurring in the days of, of Malachi. Religious cynicism, skepticism, indifference to God and his word, had begun to take shape in the hearts and minds of God's people because they had not yet seen the promise of, of the new covenant and the blessings that would, that would follow. Those hadn't been realized yet. And so here they are, one last time, exhorted to remember. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. 
Have you ever been told to remember something? As I thought through this and as I was preparing this week, I realized yesterday and even throughout the week how much I tell someone to remember this, remember this, remember this, whether it was my family, uh, students, and the, the basketball players. And, and sometimes it seems like there, there's a sense of urgency, right, in, in, in remembering. Do you remember where you put the keys? I got to get out the door. Do you remember where you put the keys? And then you search and search and search, and then you realize, oh, I had the keys, and I didn't remember. Or if you have to go to the grocery store, your wife has to go to the grocery store, and you tell your wife, remember to get kale and spinach. Okay, well, maybe you don't ask for that, but I do. <laughs> maybe you ask, you say, remember to get milk, cookies. Examples like these are, in remembering, are, are calls to action. They're ultimately a call to action. This word remember is a call to action. It, it's not merely intellectually calling to mind God's past actions or past commands, right? You don't, you don't just remember it in my head and that's it. Rather, it's an exhortation to act upon that which they know, that which they know to be true. They're to bring to the forefront of their minds what God has commanded his people in order that they might obey him, right? Remember so that you actually do something. We see a similar statement in Nehemiah 1, 8, and 9, in which Nehemiah prays to the Lord, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Right? Nehemiah is saying the same thing. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the, the peoples. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, I will gather them. In other words, Nehemiah is, is pleading. He, he's pleading with God to act on behalf of those who are returning to him, on behalf of those who are, are trusting in him and keeping his commands. And now this call from Malachi is to remember God's word. It is an exhortation, a call to action and to obedience. Specifically, they're called to remember the law of my servant Moses. The, the, the law of Moses, the, the words of the covenant, which you can read about this in Exodus and through Deuteronomy. The law of Moses was tied to the old covenant and the covenant relationship that God had established with his people. Remembering the law of Moses, the statutes and rules that God commanded, was not done for the purpose of gaining a right standing with God. It was not done for that purpose. It wasn't a, this is not a legalistic righteousness, as though acceptance with God or acceptance with God or for God, from God, is based on what they do. Rather, they were in a covenant relationship with God. He was their father. They were his children. He was their king, their Lord, and they were his servants. And then they were called to carry out the obligations of the covenant which was a response to his grace and love for his people. So God gave them instructions on, on how to live as God's people. These commands, we're reminded here, were given at Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, and the mountain of God, where, where Moses receives the law, the, the Ten Commandments, the statutes and rules. They were given for all Israel to be observed among the entire covenant community, 
So for Israel to have their priorities reshaped, their worship reoriented towards God, their hearts refreshed, they must remember, they must call to mind what God had commanded them in the past. The solution for destroying spiritual apathy and indifference in the heart of God's people and lead them to a renewed sense of covenant loyalty expressed in daily living, right, and how you live, is remembering God's word. The solution to spiritual apathy and indifference to God is to remember his word. Second, second point is this. God's people are called to wait for God's promises. Not only must they rely on God's word, they must wait for, they're called to wait for God's promise. They must rest in the promises of God. Notice verses five and six. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the Lord, the Lord interjects. He, he, he grabs their attention with this word, behold, behold, look, see, pay attention. We, we, we've seen this word already in Malachi in, in chapter 3, verse 1. It introduced the same idea. Before the arrival of the Lord, God would send his messenger who would prepare the way before him. Behold, uh, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And we observe that this is uh, a reference finding its fulfillment in John the Baptist. And now here, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So what we see in these parallel statements is that John the Baptist is like a second Elijah coming to prepare the way before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And the day of the Lord referred to the time in which God would now step into history to act on behalf of his people in bringing salvation for the righteous and judgment for the wicked. And so in Jesus' own day, they they were looking for Elijah. They were looking for this Elijah who was to come. And we know exactly how John came in the wilderness in the gospel of Mark before the arrival, before the day of Jesus Christ and the arrival of his ministry. Listen to Mark 1.6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Do you know what Elijah wore? It's intentional. Second Kings 1.8, they answered, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. In Mark 9, who appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? When, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. Moses and Elijah. And they're talking to Jesus. Both characters represent the law and the prophets that we have here in Malachi 4, 4 through 6. And, and after this event, right, so transfiguration takes place. After this event, they ask Jesus, why do the scribes say that, that 
First, Elijah must come. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. In the Gospel of Matthew, he gives us more detail. In the story of the transfiguration, right after this statement, we read this in Matthew 17, 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. In other words, the, the restoration of all things is defined by its reference to the suffering of the Son of Man. This restoration of Elijah would be accomplished through Christ's suffering and death. So as simply as possible, right? I just said a lot. This end-time Elijah that Malachi is pointing to, who would restore all things, coming before the great and awesome day of the Lord, has come in John the Baptist. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 11, 13 through 15, for all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Israel was waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in the coming of Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And, and his ministry is explained then in verse, verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And that's what John set out to do. To turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers which is another way of identifying that this message is a message of repentance. A ministry of repentance is a call to change, to, to turn around, turn away from, and then back to God in all areas of life, including the family. To turn back, to, to restore broken relationships with God and with one another. And I would just add... A person can show their heart attitude toward God. A person can show their loyalty to God or disloyalty by how parents relate to their children and by how children relate to their parents. Right? I, I tell this to kids. You want to show that you love God? Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. You want to show that you love Jesus? Do what you're told. Sounds not very complicated. It was very practical. Right? This was the ministry of John. This was the goal of John the Baptist as he prepared the way for the Lord for this coming of this great and awesome day of God. It was proclaimed in Luke 1, 16 to 17. We're going to be looking at the, the narrative, the birth narrative in the coming weeks. The birth announcement of John the Baptist says this. Speaking of John the Baptist, he will turn many, listen, listen to this again. See how it parallels here. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this would all take place before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The the day of the Lord is described here as, as great and awesome. It's described this way in Joel 2.11 and 2.31. It can be translated great and terrible or great and dreadful. The idea is that Malachi is promising that the day of the Lord will involve salvation for those who trust in God, trust in Jesus Christ, and punishment, destruction, judgment for the wicked on the last day. And the call in the prophets, and even here in Malachi, is return to the Lord with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Return to him, lest he strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. There must be a reversal of loyalty and allegiance for God's people who are failing to obey him. They must turn their hearts back to God and and to faithfulness to love one another or that God's threat of a curse of the covenant would come upon them. And so the book of Malachi ends in this way. The Old Testament ends with great expectation and hope. With a call to renew covenant loyalty and obedience to God expressed in how they relate to God and how they relate to one another. It ends with a call to remember God's word and look forward to the promises of God so that judgment can be avoided and salvation and blessing can be received. And in the meantime, they must turn their hearts back to God while they wait. Okay, so those are the two main ideas. Now the question is, how do you apply this? What are the practical implications for us as individuals and as a church? Number one, stating the obvious, remember God's word. Remember God's word. The first word of application is that we should remember and obey God's word. One writer rightly stated, and listen to this quote, the vitality of the covenant community's religious life, so it's strength, it's energy, it's vigor, the vitality of the covenant community's religious life is dependent upon its capacity to re-identify with the past. Israel's faith in the present and hope in the future was conditioned upon her ability to remember the words and deeds of the Lord in the past. What was set before them in God's word was life and death blessing and curse. And they must choose life by loving God and by keeping his commands. The the word of God, it shaped and formed their identity as God's people. And so should it be with us as individuals and as a church. Part of the spiritual decline in churches in the U.S., I don't know if you've noticed this, there's a decline obviously in in the morality and in the churches in the U.S., It's due, part of it is due to a neglect of God's word, a neglect of of his word, and even a misuse of the word of God. Changing it to to form and, and shape what they want it to say in order to be relevant or accepting of the culture. 
We must remember God's word in order to obey it and live it out. Then we ask, can we rem- how can we obey it if we don't remember it, right? We know that's true. How can we remember that which we don't know? Many of you know that I am helping coach junior high boys basketball this year. Okay? I just became an assistant junior high boys basketball coach uh, just about a week and a half ago. We started a couple of weeks ago, and there, there, there are certain things that the head coach and I want to accomplish with these students, with these players, and we want them to do. And you know junior high boys, some junior high boys, not all, all right, not all, some junior high boys, my boys on the team, so... If they don't pay attention, what happens if they don't pay attention? They won't accomplish what we're setting out to do. And certainly they won't remember what to do if we don't continue to teach them. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And in some instances, they won't be able to remember what to do because they haven't been to practice yet. So they haven't learned it. They haven't been taught it. So of course they can't remember because we haven't told them yet. We must teach them through repetition, through practice, through practice, through practice, until it just becomes natural. So that when they get out there in the game, they just automatically remember the plays, and we're just like, yeah, go run power. All right, I know power. Go run Iowa State. Oh, yeah, we know Iowa State. I don't know if we have an Iowa play yet. I, 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 learned, this, I learned this pretty quick, too. It, it, it's one thing to tell the players what to do, to give them instructions, right? It's one thing to say, all right, do this. But if they don't have it down, we can sit on the sideline and say, do this, but they're just not going to get it because they actually haven't experienced it themselves, right? They've got to go through it themselves. So the point being this, as individuals and as a church, let's continue to be devoted to God's word. Right? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Practice, devotion. To the whole counsel of God, let's, let's learn God's story and rightly apply it to our lives. So, so practically then, find ways, find time daily to spend in God's word. The situation for Israel and for us is that we're to know God's word well and call it to mind in order to lead to change and transformation. One of the keys to eliminating spiritual apathy and going through the motions is to have our minds filled with God's word. It's by the word that we came to faith in Christ. It's by the word of God that we grow in our relationship with Christ. Like newborn babies, let's earnestly desire the, the, the sincere spiritual milk of the word that by it we may grow unto salvation. Like a soldier preparing for battle, let's use the sword of the spirit, the word of God, in the fight against sin and temptation. In a culture that's shifting away from the priority of God's word, in a culture that says, right, this is what our culture says, we know better. Our culture says, we know better than those first century Christians. We know better than those Old Testament saints. We have more knowledge. In a culture that's shifting in that way, it is essential that we remain committed to the word of God. So as a church, 
what we seek to do and will continue to do is keep the word of God always before us. Sing the word, read the word, pray the word, preach the word. That's what we, we will do. And let's not underestimate the value of this in our own individual lives and in our corporate life as a body. One of the dangers, though, even in saying all this, is that we must guard against thinking that we all have it all figured out. Because we could become stagnant in, in continuing to d- devote to it and grow in it. Or it leads to arrogance, a, a knowledge that puffs up. Like the worker or child who says this, maybe you've experienced this, I don't know. They don't need any training or instruction. Why? I already know it. I already know how to do that. I've got it all figured out. I already know how to dribble a basketball. I already know how to shoot. I don't need to work on that. I don't need to practice anymore. I already know my math facts. I don't have to work on that. We could have a tendency to coast, to coast through life. We could coast through seasons of life because we're relying on the pace that we had previously set. We're relying on the pace from the past. I, I imagine this as a driver, right? I was picturing this as a driver. You get up to a certain speed, now I'll just put it in neutral and just coast. Let's not rely upon that, right? It'd be easy even for me, right, to, to rely upon my understanding of God's word from, from high school and memorizing it in high school and, and college and then seminary. Well, I got all the training I need. Now I'm done. No. We must keep going in God's word like food which fuels our soul, right? We don't go to the buffet at Pizza Ranch, eat once, now I'm good for the rest of my life. No, we must continue to, to feed ourselves on God's word. So what might this look like? Real practical, real practical. Because I think this, sometimes we can desire it. We can desire it, but, but we don't know what to do or where to read or study, right? Sometimes the challenge is just having a plan. People have a desire to eat healthy after the holidays, right? People have a desire to eat healthy after the holidays, but if they don't have a plan, it never happens, right? That's half the battle, most of the battle. I've mentioned this before. So in your daily devotions, you could read what the pastor, wherever you go to church, whether it's here or somewhere else, read what the pastor is preaching on that Sunday morning, Right? I, I gave you, there's a, that was intentional too. All right, every month. All right, here's what we're looking at this next month so that we can read and study God's word together. Right? Read, study what's being taught in the Sunday school classes. Right? We're going through Nehemiah. And Gail's working through Nehemiah. Right? If you come to Sunday school class, read that, study that. Wednesday nights. If you come to Wednesday nights, well, we don't have it this Wednesday night. But as we work through the story of the Bible on Wednesday nights, we can read and prepare even in advance, right? Opportunities to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word that we might obey it. For families with children, you could also go through children's storybooks. All right, my favorite, and I don't get paid, I'm not getting paid for this. My favorite is the Big Picture Story Bible. 
Okay, so if you don't have a big picture story Bible, seminary students were told to read this children's book. The big picture story Bible. I also like the Jesus storybook Bible, the gospel story Bible, and it's all about Jesus storybook. Okay, so there's, you probably have another one as well. There are plenty of opportunities for us to help our children as well to make that a part of their Bible routine Right, so they can see the importance of it as well, right? Even at young ages, so they continue to grow. Oh, now I'm now I need to read the real Bible. Okay, now they study the Bible. And or not or and listen to worship music that's saturated with God's word. Right? So just play it. And this is obviously the best time of year to do it. Right? Christmas time's coming, right? We play songs that, that fill our minds with God's word. Let that continue through the next season as well. Just saturating our, our minds with the word of God. Okay, so that's number one. That was the application. Remember God's word so that we might obey it. Number two, this one's quicker. Wait for God's promises. Right? They were to remember the word. They were to wait for God's promises. Israel was reminded of what was coming for them in the future. God promised that he would send a messenger before the, the day of the Lord. John the Baptist came. Jesus came. He obeyed God's word perfectly. He died a sacrificial death for us and for our salvation. So those who trust in him are forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life. Jesus ushered in the new covenant by his blood. But at the same time, the reality is that we are, in a sense, like those who feared God in the, day, in the days of Malachi, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to be fully realized. Right? We're waiting. We're still waiting. Come, Lord Jesus. We're, we're waiting. The prophets, they looked from afar at a mountain range. Right? Trees here in the distance. They look at afar at a mountain range. And as they grew closer, and as we stand on this side of the mountain, we see that there's a second coming of Christ, right? They were expecting all in his fullness at once. We got to the mountain range. We stand on this side of it, look back and say, oh, it's two comings, not one. We are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, who will make all things new, who will bring justice and righteousness and blessing of being with him forever in a new heaven and new earth. As we wait, we are to wait with hopeful hearts, knowing that God is faithful to keeping his promises. As we wait, we know that the delay in the second coming of the Lord is to give opportunity to repent. Consider the patience of the Lord, who is, who is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some would count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ will come again in the meantime. Let's wait with hope. Let's wait with holiness and with a passion to make Christ known so that others can join in this great and awesome day of the Lord. Third and lastly, The word for Israel in the days of Malachi is the same word that we need to hear this morning. It's the same message for us today. Reject spiritual apathy in your life. Reject any going through the motions of religion and turn your hearts to the Lord. Have a renewed sense of covenant loyalty to God. Express this in your daily life. 
lives. The word of the prophet was a message of repentance to prepare us for the Lord. It was a call to turn our hearts back to God. If you've never done this, confess your sins to God. Ask him for forgiveness. Admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. Turn away from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins. He rose victorious over sin and death. Trust in his work, not your own. Confess your allegiance and loyalty to to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, continue to live for him. Anytime you go through seasons of of spiritual apathy, apathy or indifference to God, or maybe there's just disinterest in God, acknowledge that. Right? You just feel like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just going through the motions. Acknowledge that. Confess that to the Lord. Remember that part of the problem with Israel, we saw this in several disputes, part of the problem was they didn't even recognize it. How? How have we done this, Lord? How have we done this? What? We've done what? We just saw that over and over. So confess that. Acknowledge that in your own life. And then seek to grow in your relationship with Christ. Keep turning to him, depend upon him, rely upon him, and rest in God's promises that Jesus is coming back in the future to reign forever. Let's trust him and let's worship and adore him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for its power and its effect in our lives. We ask that you would continue to use it to to draw us near to Jesus. We grow in it as a a church. And as we grow in knowledge, we would grow in love and, and affection for you and for one another. Would you shape us and transform us by your word? Would it be the priority in our lives and in our church? And while we remember your word, would you enable us to wait for your promise, the promise of the coming king who will reign forever. We trust him, we worship and adore him in the present. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.